Welcome to the Empowerment Radio Show, the show that empowers, inspires, and motivates. Hear from experts in all areas of business as they share proven techniques that have helped them earn millions and have more free time. Learn the tricks of the trade, including how to market your business and develop the million-dollar mindset needed to succeed. Be sure to register for more information at torontowomensexpo.com. Use hashtag EWTS, which is short for Empowering women to succeed. Now, let's welcome the host of the Empowerment Radio Show, Randy Goodman. Hello, everyone. This is Randy here with the Empowerment Radio Show and my special guest, Ron Finlay, an award-winning DJ. He owns a business that provides professional DJ services, weddings, parties, social events, and ballroom and Latin dancing. I want to give a warm welcome to my podcast guest, Ron. Thank you for being with us here today, Ron. Thank you very much, Randy. It's really great to speak with you. I appreciate the opportunity. How are you doing? Awesome. Thank you. You always are. You always are thank awesome. You. Well, thanks, Ron. Thank you, thank you. You're a great supporter. So can you, we want to get to know you a little bit, so can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing and what led you to where you are today? Yes, I, yeah, happily so. I was raised in Toronto. I've never lived anywhere else in than Toronto my whole life, or at least in the GTA, with my sister uh, and two hardworking parents. And my parents taught us, Two things, the value of a dollar, because back in those days, money was harder to earn than it is today, and also to take care of your stuff so it lasts a long time. And, you know, on my back porch, I have the original two lawn chairs that my parents bought when they got married in 1950, and those chairs are perfectly good today, 64 years, 65 years later. So they bought good stuff, and I've learned that, and it's never failed me. You buy the best you can, and you never regret it. I agree with that. Definitely agree with that. So what did you study throughout school, and where has it led you? Well, I took drafting and engineering courses or or science and technology in high school. I learned a lot about mechanical drawing and 3D spatial visualization, which seems to have been my natural thing. And then I went to my cousin's house because my parents and and being my dad's sister, we had to visit one night, and my cousin had built an amplifier for music. And I was only little. Well, I guess I was in high school. He was in university. And I got up on a stool and looked inside of it because he'd made the top of the amplifier uh, out of clear plastic so you could see all the stuff inside. And I Mm -hmm. said, that's really neat. I don't know what all these little guys do in there, but it seems pretty cool. And if you can believe it, as soon as I said, that's pretty cool, I decided to go to university at the same school he went to and take engineering. And that's actually all it was. What am I going to go to school for? I had no idea and simply looking in this amplifier going, that's really cool, was actually the trigger point to take a university degree in electrical and acoustics engineering. Wow. That's pretty incredible. That must have an enormous effect on you. Well, it has because everything, as I, and again, as I look back on my life now that I'm a lot older, of course, I look back at what I've actually done, and I've made some really almost epiphany discoveries 
that you, when you're in the moment, you don't realize you're doing what you're doing, and then you look back and you go, my goodness, this is what I've been doing all along. I'll, I'll get into that a little more later on. So, yeah, it's pretty incredible, this, this pivotal light bulb moment. And I think the work that you do gives people that opportunity to have that bulb go off in your head. And I, I think, too, the visitors, your listeners should do, if they look up awesome in the dictionary, Mm-hmm. Your picture's there. <laughs> oh, you're so funny. <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> well, well, you're so sweet. Okay, so this show's about you, Ron. So we're going to stick to you for now. You're okay. awesome, though. Thank you so much. You're so sweet. Um, so why did you choose to... Well, you kind of answered that question already. Um Okay. So you kind of answered what did you choose to study and why, and can you tell us a bit about that journey and where it brought you to today? Okay, since we're offline sort of, the, edit, the, the, the journey then continues to university where the dancing began, and that led to the DJ business. If you want to go down that Okay, okay, so I'll ask that question. Okay, okay go ahead. I'll wait. Thanks. So, Ron, can you tell us a bit about the journey uh, where, of what brought you to where you are today? Sure. Uh, the interesting thing about university is I graduated. I got my engineering degree. I got a job working in engineering, and I'll get into that a little later. But what happened was after the, the first year, it was Christmas time, I went to my first ever corporate Christmas party because I've never been to one because I'm just growing up now. So I took a lady with me that was a ballroom dancer because at university, on one of my terms, I got to take an extra, like an extra class outside of school provided by a dance studio, and I learned to dance in my second semester. And once I realized how much fun this was, and then being an engineering mind, of course, I could figure out the ladies' part. So on the last class of this course, the teacher didn't make it. She was sick. Hmm. So there was no teacher. So I just took everybody and said, okay, we're going to do a review. Let's start from the beginning. I ended up teaching the last class. I just stepped up and took over because if I didn't, we'd all be sitting there for an hour and a half waiting for somebody who wasn't coming anyway. So I realized then I have this capacity to see things from two perspectives, namely the man's and the woman's in terms of dancing, but also to teach people. And funny, 40 years later, I realized that there's this thing that my wife showed me, and it's this triangle where it says you remember 5% of what you hear and 95% of what you turn around and then teach someone else. That was a really cool thing. So after graduating, I went to this party, and the DJ was, oh, my gosh, horrible, didn't know what to play, the dance floor was empty. So I went up to him, and I asked for a song, because my partner and I would love to dance, of course, it's one there. And it was actually from a movie that was in the theaters at the time. So I thought, everybody's going to know the song. They know the movie. We're going to get up and dance. Maybe things will get going. And he never played the song. And I thought, my gosh, there's nobody dancing. How much worse can it get? So I was quite upset by this. And, and not to overreact, because I was cool then, but I went home and thought, wait a minute. I know how to dance. I got all these records that my dad's had me collecting over the years because he appreciates good music. I got an engineering degree. So I decided two weeks later, on January the 10th, 1981, to start my own DJ business with no experience, no clue other than a passion to do better than the other guy did. 
And that's what I started 34 years ago. Wow. That's awesome. Like for businesses to get past one year is incredible. And you've had it going on for 34. That's incredible. Kudos to you. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, it's been a fun journey. <laughs> so what do you, um, like how do you help people? Tell us how you help people. Well, that's, I think that's a really neat piece of the puzzle. When I go to a wedding, I'm the witness of 30 other vendors. There's photographers, flowers, cake, decor. There's all these other companies that have come together, the dress, the tuxedo, the, celem- the ceremony itself. And I look at all the other people's work. Some of it's good, some of it's not so good. But I get their business card or I find out who they are, and then I say to my next bride and groom, how can I help you with your wedding? Because I know this really cool vendor in this category, or here's a piece of advice. You know, when you're having your dress made and you wonder, well, what do I know about wearing a dress? And just so your viewers don't get it wrong, I've never worn a dress. (laughs) But I teach people to dance. And I tell brides, you know, I take the bride aside and I say, tell me about your dress. I don't want the groom to hear, but I need to know so that I can teach you dance steps that you don't have a wardrobe malfunction or some other embarrassing moment. So I need to know about the dress so that I can teach them steps they can actually do and not feel subconscious or self-conscious doing them. So that leads me to saying, well, wait a minute. If I know all this about dresses, and the five things you need to know about the hem length and all these stuff that's really not guy stuff, but it's still dress stuff. I thought, well, geez, if I just help my bride, I'm kind of paying it forward. It takes me a couple minutes of my time. It doesn't cost me money per se. It doesn't cost me anything to be nice. And it helps them. How does that hurt me? So I started helping people, and that wedding observation of seeing stuff, and remember, I'm the last guy in the room. I walk in and go, why am I set up over here? I wish I was over there. Or this table's too small or it's too big. Or why didn't they put a, tape, uh, you know, a, a skirt around my table because my legs are showing or something. And you think, I could do better if I helped them plan their wedding. So I started planning weddings, and I have a, a, a spreadsheet that calculates the cost of the entire wedding with two numbers instantaneously. Wow. Well, you know what? Well, becomes easy. You saw a need. You had the education. You know, it doesn't matter, male, female. It doesn't matter what gender you are. Nope. But this is your business, and how do you service your client to the best ability that you can and to take action on that regardless whether it's a girly thing or a male thing or whatnot, it doesn't matter. This is your business and you need to serve your clients. So the fact that you can get past all that male-female caca that people, you know, some people have in their mind, you know, you need to make sure that your client gets, uh, has the best experience possible, right? Well, that, and that, that's, sorry, that's true. And, and the thing is, my goal is to help them with their wedding Yeah, my goal is to be the DJ at the wedding, but if I can find out what they're missing, what vendors don't you have, you know, what are your thoughts on this, that, and the other, and if I can help understand them better, it helps me create a better wedding experience because our DJ approach to a wedding is, I think, very uniquely different, and so I need to know more about them. Can you imagine introducing 
you know, people at the head table and the parents only to find out at the wedding the bride's father's deceased. That's wow. something you need to know. And you don't want to ask her the week before her wedding, oh, by the way, I'm getting ready for your wedding, Saturday. Can you answer all these questions? If it's a painful moment, I'd rather have asked her nine months ago when she can sort of say what happened and then get on with it and not be upset at her wedding. So you have to be very aware of your customer's needs, where's their kind of hot buttons, what's troubling them. And if you can put their mind at ease based on experience, even though there's no money in it for you, you're doing it because you want to help them, that endears them to you. And then they really want to do business with you. They really want you at their event, in the case of uh, you know, DJing their wedding. And when you get there, they're as happy to see you as you are to be at the event. So it's kind of a win-win. Mm-hmm. The, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love people who are in business and are actually passionate about their business because clearly you're passionate about it. You're jumping into it with two feet and taking all the steps that you need to take in order to help your client and make sure they have the best experience. If they don't have a good experience, they're not going to come back to you. They're not going to refer you. So in order to ensure that you do get those referrals and you do uh, have people coming to you having heard great testimonials or great reports, that will ensure the life of your business. And clearly you've done that because you've been in business for 34 years already. So congratulations to you. Thank you. And And to show you just the power of what you just said, I went back and forth from the school from Waterloo where I went to school to Toronto with one of the guys I went to high school with. And I didn't realize I'd gone to high school with him until I met him in university and we got talking. And it turns out we were actually high school buddies. I ended up doing his wedding. I did his brother's wedding. I did his sister's wedding. Wow. Last July, I, 32 years later, I did his first of three daughters' weddings. <laughs> and this oh, September, so I'm doing his 60th birthday party. So from one guy, 32 years later, I'm still top of mind. I love it. To me, that's the power of what you suggest is when you service a customer and they're happy with what you did, they're more apt to refer you. And that's really a lot these days because you can Google anything, Mm -hmm. but you can't Google experience. Totally agree with you. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of you for taking that role on with your business. It's, it's a great example of what everybody should do in their businesses. So can you tell us a little bit about what are the most challenging issues that you find people face when it comes to your business? I think some of the challenges of business is everybody thinks they're the best whatever, you know, best DJ Mm -hmm. in Toronto or world's best whatever. I don't recall getting a survey card, so I I don't know about that. But I think what's best is what's best for the customer. What Mm -hmm. best fits them? And if you don't understand them, you can't say you're the best fit. Mm -hmm. And if if you're too full of yourself or whatever the right word is, then you don't step down and say, what is it I can help you with? What is your concern? What are you most concerned about at your wedding? What are you afraid could happen? And let me show you how I can make sure it doesn't go that way for you. 
I think that whole customer service thing has lost some of its luster because now people just Google something and they think all the answers are there. Well, they're not always all the right answers. And, and people have lost the skill of, of public service in that sense. And in that, they've lost the ability to speak, which has led me to another little journey that I'm on. Wow. Okay. So speaking. Yeah. Speaking is the next journey. Okay, well, before we ask you about that, what help do you suggest people take with this? What steps should they take? I think people need to make a list of, oh, let's say 10 or 15 things that they believe, and I mean believe, that their business offers that are unique. Okay, everybody can do A, B, C, D, E, but who's doing F, G, H, I, J? I mean, these are the other little things. And what this gives you is, I think, a list from which you can draw a point for discussion. Because if everybody has A, B, C, and the bride or the client or whatever knows that, then that's not the thing they're looking for because everybody provides A, B, C. What do you provide that's different? What is it unique about your service and that she needs or the client needs. If you can dovetail your unique difference because you have a list and you've thought about it and you've come up with ways to express and articulate it and mm-hmm. even measure it, and I mean, and of course the, money revol- the world revolves around money, if you can say to the bride, because I do this, I can save you that. Mm-hmm. When I plan a wedding, I promise to save them thousands of dollars, and it's got nothing to do with my service. It has to do with asking better questions so you get better answers. So I think having this list of sort of strong, you can call them key performance indicators like KPI, if you want to use an industry term. Mm-hmm. You can call them value-added features. But I think if a business owner doesn't sit down and think, what is it that I do, okay, that everybody else does, fine, but what else do I do that is uniquely different? And then when I find a client where that difference is the, is the little button that makes the light bulb go off, then I can talk to them from a point of experience where I've already done it, so they're not going to be having it exper- experimented upon a, on their event, because that's dangerous, because if it doesn't work, you've got a, trouble, you know, a problem. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the co- businesses need to have that, that unique difference. And some people call it a unique value proposition, whatever have you, but I think it goes deeper in terms of having a list that you can trigger off of based on the client's reaction as you engage with them and share your ability to help them with whatever their problem happens to be. I'm a list maker. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so what kind of results can people expect when they work with you? When we do, an, I'm, and I'm going to tailor off of the wedding market, when we do a wedding, and, and by comparison, most weddings have eight highlights. If you think about the grand dances of the bride and groom, their first dance, their father-daughter dance, the groom and mother dance, bouquet garter, cake cutting, and last dance. Those are the highlights that make a wedding different than, say, a Christmas party, which is obviously got none of these things. Mm-hmm. That's eight highlights. Our weddings have up to 38 highlights. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. in a very different level of emotional engagement we don't tell people to clap their hands. We do it by how we introduce things, and we get what we call spontaneous human reaction. So the entire audience is engaged, and they 
feel different. The bride and groom feel different. So the way we measure results is how do you feel at your wedding? And when you see tears of joy one minute and side-splitting laughter the next and know that you did that because you made an announcement or an introduction or the way you presented a piece of music or the way you called someone up to the microphone who's going to make a speech, the way you paid attention to things you heard and incorporate them in the event later on, I think that's the measurement that we use to gauge our success, never mind the referrals. And it's not about the money. Funny enough, it's not about the money. The money comes because the money's earned. But Mm -hmm. the feeling is what drives the referral, and that's what generates the business. I absolutely love what you just said, and I want to repeat it. You said it's not about the money. The money comes because the money is earned. And I think a lot of businesses don't understand that the success that they can be having is all based on what you just said there. And sorry, I paused because I was typing and I wanted to make sure I was saying it properly. But it's so important that when people are so focused on the money, it's so hard to get it. And when you focus on serving the client, the money comes. When you're doing what you're passionate about and you're servicing other people, the money will come. So I love that you said that. And sorry, I wanted to... (laughs) repeat that because it's so important. You have so much to teach people, and I love that you're sharing all this great information. So what is – sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. You know what? And I'll tell you, and this is where this is all going to stem out of. Because I also teach engineering because I got – again, I had an opportunity to give away some electronic parts from one, when I had a job in engineering, one of the companies I worked for was throwing out a bunch of brand new electronic parts and motors and gears and all kinds of stuff because they had to order in bulk because that's the only way they could buy the stuff for an experiment. And then it didn't work. We won't get into why it didn't work. This is a whole other topic. But basically, I thought, well, you can't throw all this out. Why can't we give it to someone like a school that can use it for their lab for the students because students are always – Scrapped for, you know, strapped for money and they need to buy parts for stuff. So I, so I ended up calling a college and they came over and got a whole trunk full. I mean, they filled their van with this stuff. And then they were so impressed by my generosity, only because I was, had my eyes open. And this is nothing for your listeners. You've got to have your eyes open 24-7. I call it antenna running. But anyway, we'll get into that. So they asked me if I could review a course curriculum And I did, and I said, well, that's all fine and well, but there's a much better way to do this. And then I explained it to them, and they said, well, we don't have anyone that can do that. I said, well, you know what? I can. I've Mm -hmm. been teaching for 12 years now. Mm -hmm. So so what I've developed over this career is the realization, and I created a list. Again, I'm a list guy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I created a list of 25 axioms of life. These are my one word or one, you know, one-liners, if you will, that drive how I work. And the number one axiom is this, and I think it's profound, and it's an inarguable statement. That's what I mean by axiom. Knowledge is the only thing in the world you can give away and still have. Yes. And so now when I teach, my goal is to give away what I know and not be without it. I go to my events and I give it 110% and I'm not worn out for having done so. 
and it doesn't mm-hmm. deprive my next client of an encore performance for their event. So I find it an interesting uh, position philosophically, if you will. And that's what's led me to the book that I'm writing. Okay, and we'll talk about that in a second too. So Thanks. what makes you so passionate about sharing your message with people? My parents taught me right from wrong, and they taught me what to look out for when something's wrong. Don't do what those kids are doing. That's wrong. And I thought, okay, I'll just do what I'm told. It was easier. But years later, I look back and realize, you know, even though that was way back then, they were still right. And the same rules apply. You look both ways before you cross the street, right? So Mm -hmm. nothing's changed. Humanity has not changed maybe over millions of years, but not over the last century. (laughs) So if you take basic principles and say, you know, if you want to do something and you're going to commit your time or your money or your effort or whatever to do it, you might as well do it well. And if Mm -hmm. you do it well, people will realize he does a good job. Now, whether they want to hire you or you want to start your own business and do a good job for people, that does not go unnoticed. It simply can't. The world does not allow good work to go unnoticed. So I think then to answer your question about passion, you have to be passionate about it or you won't like it enough to put in the effort to do a good job and get noticed for the right reasons. And I find a lot of companies, especially in my world where it's in the, in the, in the entertainment and in the wedding business, a lot of companies take the approach of what I call the minimalist. They're not getting the money they want, so they do the least amount they can for the money they're getting. And I say, and I got this from another a mentor of mine, and he said, be the best, charge the most. And so I've chosen to try to be the best that I can. I'm not charging the most. I know that because I know people that charge more. But I mm-hmm. think the passion the effort, the planning, the lists, the checking off, the making sure, and then you show up to do the very best you can, not because of the money, but because you have the opportunity to, get a, to do a good job and have it be noticed. The money takes care of itself. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I absolutely love what you're teaching people. Uh, and, interesting, and, interesting by, and interestingly, by proof, if you don't put in the effort, if you don't do a good job, they begrudge the money they paid you. So when is that going to be a good plan to keep doing over and over? So to me, it's crystal clearly obvious there's only one way to go. And I came up with this one last week. I woke up one morning and went, I got it. You ready for this? You either hit the floor running or you hit the floor. Pick one. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. I think it's funny, but you can't argue with it. So now I have 26 axioms. Oh, my God. Okay, too funny. So you mentioned a couple things. So first let's bring up the speaking part. You said that uh, this is in your near future. So yeah. tell us a bit about it. Well, I, I, again, as a DJ, you have to get up in front of 100, 200, 500 people you don't even know, and you have to introduce yourself and say good evening and actually entertain these people. And that can be very unnerving 
But once I learned to dance, I'm telling you, that's the best thing I ever did because that took me out of my shell. Because if you look up square in the dictionary, that's where you find my picture back then. So I got out of my shell when I was confident enough to dance, and that led me to my, in my DJ business, and that led me to appealing to a gentleman who was actually consulted by Regis Philbin for his own daughter's wedding that he needed to MC, And he's a world-renowned MC, So he called this other fellow up in Vancouver, and he asked him, so how do I do a wedding? Because I know how to do talk shows. So from that, there was an award created called the Five Star MC Award. And I am the second and only in Canada to hold that award, in North America, actually. And one of the DJs that I work with is number one. And the only reason he's number one is because he applied sooner than me, and I, I regret now not putting in the effort to go faster. So we are lucky to be these five-star MC award-winning DJs. And so we bring a level of confidence. And now that I can do that, I thought, well, why don't I teach people how to be more confident public speakers? And whether it's one-on-one networking or in a larger group where you're presenting like the things that you do on a stage so well? Or what if you're going for a job interview and it's one against many and you're nervous? Better public speaking would be a huge skill set to have. You have so much to teach. Like you're just such a wealth of information. It's incredible. So for you to get up on a stage and help people, that would be awesome. Well, I am, I am looking for that opportunity, Randy, and I want to tell you something else, and it, it's something that you can prove. I have not said um, ah, uh, or like in this entire conversation, which is you and me live. There's no script. We're just talking, and I'm delighted. But I don't use those terms because I've found a way to prepare what I'm going to say without resorting to those what we call crutch phrases. And it creates a whole different dynamic when you speak from that point of confidence and knowing what you're going to say, not stop in the middle of it and go, uh, well, um, like, uh, and you haven't said anything yet. And that demoralizes the listener. And that's when they tune out, and that's when you lose credibility. So I am anxious to get on a stage and get rocking with this thing. (laughs) That's awesome. And you're so right. It comes with confidence. It comes with knowledge. It comes with... Uh, you know, being prepared, and I totally agree with what you're saying because we use those words when we pause to our next thought or pause to, uh, you know, maybe we're not sure what we're going to say or we're not prepared. I mean, when you're doing an ad lib, then that could occur, right? Because you're thinking, okay, you know, what's the next thing that I say? But when you are prepared, which people should be when they're going on stage to speak, they don't end up with the ums and the likes and the other pause words that we have. But there are people who talk with pauses, like I'm one of them. (laughs) You know, even being prepared, I talk with a lot of pauses. I may not say um and like and some of the other ones, but I I pause, right? So Pausing is okay. Pausing is totally normal, especially when you need someone to, you're waiting for a reaction because you planned it, or you simply need to stop and think. But stopping and thinking, and it's interesting, gives the other person a chance to speak, and you can listen while you download your next thought as opposed to going on like a freight train. So actually, strategic pausing is not a bad thing, and what I call it, if you can believe this, is planned spontaneity. 
I know exactly what I'm going to say, and I choose to start, stop, pause, or wait, but it's not without any expectation that's going to be other than the way I meant it to be. So when we do stuff at a wedding, we know exactly what's going to happen with this announcement. I've told brides and grooms, before the salad comes out, I'll have half your audience in tears. And I'll have them in the palm of my hand. And the reason I do that is I need to connect with them on an emotional, human, visceral level mm-hmm. so they understand this is not going to be a normal wedding. This is going to be amazing. And now that I know they feel human and they're, they're vulnerable, now I can work with their emotions and I can engage more than just the five senses of taste, sight, smell, sound, and, you know, I don't need those. I'm going to a deeper level, and that's what they take home. In fact, our tagline is we bring experience so your guests can take one away. Nice. Nice. Thank you. I love that. And I can't wait to see you on stage. So you also mentioned about writing a book. So what topic matter are you going to write about? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. Well, I'm on page 20 as of yesterday. I've only been going for two days. <laughs> so I got to thinking. I, I, I collect business cards because, as you know, that's how I met you, and I'm so thrilled to have met you. I've met you at a networking event, and I've gone to many of your events, and they're always great. And I collect business cards, and I had one business card one day about three weeks ago, and I actually had to get on a magnifying glass to read the guy's email. And I thought, this card is hard to read. And then I went through a stack of them and I went, okay, this one sucks and this one's no good and this one, and they're not doing their job. And I think people have misunderstood the purpose of a business card has changed. And I had kind of the secret sauce on that one. And I think that what the card is for changes what the card looks like in terms of information. So I've been collecting these cards and analyzing them from my own little engineering perspective. And then I thought, but your brochure, your website, which I've learned a lot about websites, and I'm not a web designer. I don't mean it that way. I'm talking mm-hmm. about when I go on a website, what is the purpose for you landing on my webpage? And it used to be information-based. Now it's client acquisition. And as you know, as an Infusionsoft expert, the old landing page, give me your email, I'll send you something free, that whole get your contact information is the new thing. It used to be providing reams and reams of information about stuff. And if you read it all, it's really cool. But people don't have that attention span these days, I find. So we need to get their information to send them the right stuff so they can read what they want to read, not read a bunch of stuff trying to find the part they want. And I think that the, this whole book takes you from the business card, the whole purpose for networking, a whole bunch of, I think, 15 things that go on a business card and five that don't. Who's ever thought that there's even 20 things on a business card, right? And then you get into the whole networking, and I see all kinds of incredible examples that I would share without naming anybody, of course, that here's how not to network. And then we go from there into the resume and the cover letter because a lot of people are out of work. I find a lot of these networking events, half the people there are looking for a job, so I want to help those people, okay? And then finally, the interviewing skills, where the public speaking and that whole polished performance delivery, no um, ah, like, answering questions on the fly, having an agenda where you want to get 
You want them to ask you a certain question so you can steer the interview so your strong points come forward. So the book goes end to end, and I call it Networking to Next Job. Hmm. Okay. Nice. I also want to try and do that in a workshop format too because I think I will learn a lot in the workshop and tweak the content of the book based on that because I think there's a, still a whole lot of tweaking and real-word alpha and beta testing that needs to get done because I think that – and I've tried it, by the way. I've tested it at a couple of events I've been at in the last week and a half, and it's amazing the, uh, the way it's starting to gel in my mind and then out through my fingers to the keyboard because I think it's really interesting that I now can observe from a critical perspective with the goal of creating something that can help people because I'm not looking for a job. I'm busy. <laughs> no, you're funny. <laughs> I try to be. It's more fun to be funny than not. I love it. I love it. You know, it, it just attracts more people to you. So uh, you also teach. Can you tell us a little bit about what you teach? Are you referring to the engineering course? Yeah, because you're a full-time okay. teacher, right? Yeah, well, I teach. I, it's funny. I, I started teaching at this college, um, and they, they gave me one semester a year, and I taught from January to April for years and years and years, and the students kept complaining, if you can believe that. At the end of the course, I wish we had this last term because we hmm. could have used this this term, but we weren't learning it as fast as we were doing our other subjects. So I said, well, then you need to talk to the dean and tell them we need a September intake, not just January. Well, two years ago, they gave me a, a September course. So now I teach two times a year. Well, last month, they decided to add it for the summer. So next week, I start <laughs> teaching the summer course. So now I'm generating 20 or 30 students per term. And amazingly, you talk about referrals. Last August, so a year ago now, I got invited to the wedding of one of my students who I taught Aww. for four months. That's awesome. It was, I was astounded. I read the invitation. It was an email that I got from him, and it's his invitation. I'm looking at it. I must have read it four times before I realized he's actually inviting me. He's not just informing me that he's getting married. He's actually inviting us. So I got to the wedding, and I went up to him and his bride before the wedding because the way they had it set up. Mm-hmm. And he introduced me to his bride. She says, I've heard about you. I said, I hope it's okay. He said, oh, no, no. You <laughs> made a big change in my husband. And, yeah. I said to, and I said to him, and it's funny, I just bought an iPhone. I didn't even think I had video recording capability because I wasn't thinking straight. So I audio recorded him, and I asked him, why did you invite me to your wedding? How did I qualify of all these people to be mm-hmm. a guest at your wedding? I only taught you one course for three months. Mm-hmm. He said... I had a favorite teacher back in Spain, and he was my most favorite teacher ever, ever. But I took your course, and you so profoundly changed my life that you became my favorite teacher. Hmm. So that's why I invited you to my wedding. Well, this summer, two, three, four weeks ago now, I was invited by him to where he works to show me something he designed using the principles from the course that he took three years ago. Wow. So when you can have that kind of profound impact on people by teaching them and having a few laughs and a few jokes and make it light and fun and engaging and empowering 
and they walk away with much more than they ever thought they would, then you've made an impact. And now I teach year-round. Wow. You know, you brought tears to my eyes with that story. It's beautiful. I, I tell you, I nearly broke up telling you. It's just, it's, <laughs> I can't, I, you know, it's amazing the lives you touch. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't realize what you've actually done. And, and on that point, and way back in the beginning of this conversation, I mentioned this. When I look back in my engineering career, I turn, it turns out that all four companies I've worked for in the real world, I call it the real world, because I play in my own sandbox now, but in the real world, I've always done failure analysis. I was with IBM on how computers can fail based on some calculations that they do. And then I went into the road construction and road design and traffic signals and how accidents can cause traffic to not move, which is a failure of the purpose of a roadway, and how pavement cracks and fails. And then I got into automotive design for 18 years on how parts fail in a car and why we have to design them this way so they don't crack or break or whatever. And then I looked back and went, I've just spent my entire life looking at how things can fail and how to solve the problem beforehand. So my course that I teach in engineering is called How to Design Anything. And I tell the students, I can tell you how something is going to fail exactly why, and in 15 seconds, I'll tell you exactly what you have to change, and it will never fail. And I did that to a product in a car, and in 15 seconds, I told my boss, this isn't going to work. I know what you need to do. He said, how much is it going to cost me? Because we've now spent all the customer's money building it, and now we have to spend our money to fix it. I said, $55,000. He said, okay, I trust you. Fix it. So I fixed it. And all the new parts came in. And manufacturing assembled them incorrectly. That's great, eh? They put them together oh, wrong. No. <laughs> they forgot to put, they put the grease in the wrong place. They didn't grease the part that needs to have the grease oh, for lubrication. No. So the thing went through testing without the grease in the right place. And it passed. And the customer was so excited, they ordered, are you ready for this sit-down girl, $60 million. Wow. $60 million, and it took me 15 seconds. And I'm not trying to impress anybody, but I'm trying to impress upon you the idea that when you're observant and you have a plan and you notice things and you look for ways to solve problems, the size of the problems you can solve will blow your mind. Now, you have to understand 30 million people, because this is a $2 product, okay? Mm-hmm. 30 million people are going to have that product in their car, and I fixed it. Well, that, to, when you look at it that way, and mm-hmm. I don't get a dime for this. I don't get a dime for this. Right. Which kind of sucks, but anyway, 30 million people are going to be influenced because of something I did. But here's the more important part. This product is a switch in a car. It affects a safety system. If it doesn't work when you push the button, you don't have the function. That's dangerous. So I feel pretty amazed 
at the little thing I did because I took note of something really small and I fixed it. Oh, good for you. So, I mean, that's, it's, you know, it's not to impress anybody. It's to say, look, you can look for little things and make a change. Speak up. Share your knowledge. You're not going to lose it by helping someone. And they just might reciprocate and help you. And how is that a bad thing? So that's that's kind of my my life mission now is to find a way to get this message out. And you're a catalyst, my dear, on this because of this conversation. I am on a mission to make what I've spent my whole life doing of solving problems, whether it's emotional at a wedding and making it better than they ever imagined, or whether it's in design, or whether it's from a stage to help someone find a job when they just keep blowing the interview or they get so nervous they don't even say what they meant to say. Whatever, it helps someone else because I'm not looking for a job. I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, <laughs> you know what? When you're brilliant, you're brilliant, right? <laughs> I mean, what else can you say? You just, you've got it. You've got it, and you share it, which is the more awesome part, is you don't keep it to yourself. You want to share this with other people, whether there's money in it or not money in it. And I love that. You know, that just shows a good heart and a good person. So thank you for that, and thank you for sharing that with the world. Now, as a final question, what would you tell people about starting the type of business that you're in? Is it difficult? Are there tricks to the trade? And I know you have a few things going on, so you can focus in on one of them or all of them if you wish. Well, I think they all have a common foundation. I think this is the new, the new realization of business. The world has changed. The digital age, the, the Internet, manufacturing now, everything's changing. of the companies in Canada are small businesses, and it's en route to 90-plus. So you don't have these great big companies where you go to work for 30, 40 years and you retire, like my uncle, 42 years with the railroad, Mm -hmm. one job, right? Now it's every three or four years you're looking for a new job, and with downsizing, outsizing, right-sizing, whatever you want to call it, I think (laughs) the way of the future is people need to be entrepreneurial. They need to run their own little business and, frankly, where possible, from their home. Not only is there tax deductions for your house because you're using it as an office or whatever, and that's all legal stuff and you need to get legal advice, but it's absolutely doable. And some of the people that you know know all about that and you know who I'm talking about. Yep, I do. Because when you know people, you know people who know stuff. And they'll tell you their stuff. And you help them and they help you and we all get better. So I think a home-based or, or entrepreneurial business is the only way to go. I tell all my students when I teach, I say, day one, hi, I'm Ron, and by the way, you will never work for a company, so don't even think about going out and getting a job because you're not going to do it because you're going to run your own company. Get that through your head, now let's start the course. And they're laughing their heads off, but they know I am dead serious. And, it is, right. and, and many of them have done it. Many of them have gone out and said, you know what, he was right. And they call me and says, I'm running my own business. And the kid that invited me to his wedding is doing exactly that. So I know it works. So I think the real piece of advice is look for something you're passionate enough about to want to do it for as long as it takes. And if it's 18 hours a day, fine, that's what it takes because that's how I roll. 
Okay, I never stop. I never stop. I sent 400 emails the other night, and I finished at 11 o'clock. But if I didn't well, send them, I wouldn't have got the five responses. And if I didn't send them, they would have come, gone, got married, and I would have lost all the money I spent to get those leads. So I think two things to answer your question. One, start your own business in something you're passionate about doing. But before you jump in and start investing in it, make a list. Make sure it's monetizable because you've got to make a living still, okay? Last time I checked, robbing a bank still illegal, so you don't want to go there. <laughs> so you need to make it that you can make a living at it. And, it. and then the biggest key, I think, is everything is about marketing. You have to have a list, a client list. You have to have an audience who wants your stuff, whatever it is, be it a product or a service, or you're not going to survive. And if it's not making money, it's not a business, it's a hobby. And I You think are absolutely these, right. <laughs> well, I've been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, sold the store, still got the damn T-shirt. So, I think, yeah, I think I'm right, and, and, I'm, and if someone else out there has a better position, I'm happy to hear it, but I think from my experience, which is <laughs> quite a long time, and I'm not going to tell you how long, but it's been forever, and it's been instilled in me that you have to have the drive to make a difference. You have to have the passion to never give up, ever, because as soon as you let up off the gas, someone passes you. Absolutely. Now, we have the Olympics coming, the para, the Pan Am Games. So that's kind of like the Olympics. But I, th this is something else that I think is really profound. In the Olympics, there's a gold medal, bronze, silver, and all that, right? Mm -hmm. They did a survey a couple years ago. Gold medalists obviously thrilled that they won a gold medal. That goes without saying. The bronze medalists were happy because they won a medal. The silver medalists were ticked off because they lost. Right. Funny, they did better than the bronze guy, but they're more upset. Right. Nobody, tra nobody trains to go to the Olympics and come ninth. Right. I mean, nobody trains to come ninth. That's not the plan. The plan is to win a gold medal. So to me, there's gold medal and loser. Plain and simple. There's two choices. You win or you lose. There's no middle ground. So in business, I think you need to have the passion to drive as hard and long, and if it's eight days a week, well, then good. Change the calendar. Like, whatever it takes, you cannot stop until you have monetized your dream and you need an audience of people who believe you, who trust you, who benefit from what you're doing, and they become the marketing machine because you would go broke just trying to sell it on a street corner. So I think marketing is a massive thing, and anything people can learn about marketing, which is part of what my book's going to contain, is some tips on how to do stuff like that. Because I think most business cards fail on a marketing perspective. And it's a, when I, as soon as I realized that, I went, wow, this one's no good. This one's missing the mark. This one's not doing the job. I can't read this one. It's not doing – and I went, wow, this is amazing. All these business cards are missing the purpose that this person has, but they don't even realize it. So I want to help them understand, your business card isn't working. And I'm not complaining about you. It's about the card is not doing what you need it to do, and you're under a false impression when you go to an event and hand these cards out. And guess why you're not getting the results you want? So I think that would be a massive piece of help. So I'm in it to win it. As you should be. 
definitely. <laughs> That's awesome. I can just listen to you and listen to you and listen to you. <laughs> You're just well, amazing. Not, I, you know, I get excited and I have so much to share and I'm itching and jumping trying to find the vehicle to get it out there. I want to get a hold of some of the people that, that run these events where there's people speaking from the stage. And, and it's not like I have something to sell at the back of the room. I'm not, again, that's not, I'm not there yet, and I'm not concerned if I don't get there. If I get to speak first and I don't have a DVD at the back of the room, I'm not worried about that. My goal is to help people, and then the rest will take care of itself. Because someone in that audience or someone running that event will say, I can help you monetize this later but what you did was great, and people are talking about it, and so on. So I think that's kind of a neat entry point, and I'm quite fine with that. I've done lots of things that have made me zero dollars, mm-hmm. but I've made acquaintances and friendships, and, and it's built a business, and the money takes care of itself. So right. I'm, I'm okay with that. Fantastic. I love it. Well, thank you so much. I just absolutely... Loved hearing about your journey and your knowledge is unbelievable. That's awesome. It was such an honor to speak with you today, Ron. Great. Ron, do you want to share with people how they can get in touch with you? Do you have a website you'd like to share? Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. I would be happy. Obviously, my marketing is is in the DJ business, but now that they know, because they're all listening, that I do engineering design, I have actually one of my students who wants to hire me as a consultant for something he's working on. So there you go. So they can reach me universally for any of what we've talked about at the same website, www.perpetualrhythms.com. That's a mouthful, so let me spell it. www.perpetualrhythms.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. And had I known as much as I know now about marketing, I would have made it different. But there you go, (laughs) www.perpetualrhythms.com. And any of your listeners that want to reach out, and I will help them if I can, or direct them to someone that I know can help them even better, I'm, I'm thrilled with the opportunity because, you know, I would hate to die and leave all this in my head. That would suck. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, Ron, thank you again for joining us on this podcast. It was my honor to have you on. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your time and the kindness, and you're a wonderful person, and and the world's a better place for it uh, because of it. So thanks, Randy. Thank you, Ron, and to you as well. And I want to thank each one of our audience members for listening to this podcast and our other podcasts. And please remember to subscribe and share, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again on the next podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Empowerment Radio Show. Want more empowerment from Randy Goodman? Stay up to date and follow Randy on Twitter at Randy Connects. That's Randy with an I. Remember to use hashtag EWTS, which is short for Empowering Women to Succeed. Or visit TorontoWomensExpo.com. Expo.com.